Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Renewables. Happy Friday, and thank you for joining us again. We have uh, just finished our four-part series focusing on our renewable natural gas and organic fertilizer business it was a blast to record and um, have some internal folks from our team on the show. So thanks to everyone who made that possible. Uh, very excited to have David Christ from NFI Industries on today. Uh, NFI Industries is a transportation, logistics, uh, real estate company, but really you all are more than that. Um, I think you're borderline you know, a tech company with all the initiatives that you've taken on and some of the things that you're doing. So really excited to dive into that. Uh, David, thank you for coming on the show today. And David, thanks uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited yeah. to talk today. And great name. <laughs> that, that makes it easy. So um, you are the Energy and Sustainability Manager at NFI. Um, and I want to talk about all the different initiatives that you have going uh, you're working on some really cool things around electric vehicles um, and more. But before we get in there, set the stage for our, our listeners and viewers. Tell us a little bit about your background and experience and, and how you ended up at NFI. Um, no, and I, again, thanks for having me on here. I'm excited and I uh, really like your podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, I, I went to school at Penn State University. Um, uh, probably graduated 10 years ago. It's uh, sad to say around, around 10 years ago now. And uh, I graduated the bachelor's degree in energy engineering and um, uh, energy engineering at the time is actually a new, new degree. And uh, it focuses on energy efficient applications and just conventional and renewable energy. And uh, it, it really, Really had a. I was really excited to go to it and graduate from this program. And uh, from there, uh, I actually went to work for Train in King of Prussia. And so uh, their affiliates, their affiliate from King of Prussia, uh, is purely you know it's a HVAC company, but they also had a uh, energy division. And within that company. I actually sat in the sustainability center and uh, my job was to focus on optimizing HVAC and um, building up efficiency in commercial buildings, hospitals, schools. And that Fantastic. was, it was a good experience because it got me into the HVAC industry, which I didn't know much too much about. And uh, sure. I, I have my basics basis on that now. And uh, so from training, I went to work for CubeSmart and CubeSmart's a, uh, publicly traded self-storage REIT out of Malvern, Pennsylvania. And uh, there I was the energy and sustainability manager. And we, uh, you know, they, they're in over 30 states in the US and just a lot of different markets for energy. And right there I got to develop solar, do rooftop solar for them. Um, very interesting with the being a REIT, it's, it's, with the taxes and how that works and 
uh, using a taxable REIT subsidiary to own solar and um, have that work with a publicly traded REIT. It's very interesting. Uh, it's a very interesting prod. Those, those are very interesting solar projects, and um, it, it was a, that was some very good experience. But at uh, at CubeSmart, a couple of things I focus on were not only the solar, but energy efficient projects like lighting, HVAC upgrades, um, electric and gas commodity purchasing. That was my first kind of foot in the door on the that that industry, which is very interesting. Right. And um, I also manage the HVAC building management systems for the for them. So that was just a kind of a small simple HVAC system, but it would control the HVAC and lighting in certain certain areas and usually where our H, where our cooling was much higher than normal. Um, so from there, actually, I'm, I, I moved on to NFI and that's where I'm at now. And NFI is one of the largest third party logistics companies in the US. And uh, we, you know, we specialize in Supply, supply chain solutions in the U.S. and Canada, and um, so now I'm the energy sustainability sus, energy and sustainability manager at NFI, and um, you know we're we're a family-owned company. We're private, and uh, it's been very exciting to work here. I've probably I've been here about four years now, and uh, NFI is out of Canyon, New Jersey, so right across the river from Philadelphia, and uh, we mainly operate in our main our main markets are Southern California, Illinois, uh, Lehigh Valley, New Jersey, and then Texas. And, um, you know, we, we move product for a lot of companies that you see every day. And uh, one of our big, besides our third party logistics operations, we also have a, a large truck fleet um, and I sit in the real estate department. So within that operations that we have, we operate over 52 million square feet of warehouse space in the US and Canada. And about 20, 25% of that we own ourselves. And so I sit there and we manage our, you know, we manage our leases, we manage our own properties, we manage everything. And it's, uh, it's been a whirlwind four years. I can't believe it already. Yeah, well, I, it sounds like you you have a lot of responsibility um, and sort of bridging the gap between that real estate and that energy side, which are two, uh, you know, obviously related to one another. And I can imagine um, you mentioned NFI is a, a family owned business and one of the largest 3PL companies in the country. Um, but I can imagine there's some differences in how you uh, go through processes and, and achieve projects. Uh, then you know, say CubeSmart, uh, a publicly traded REIT. Talk a little bit uh, about some of the differences in your role, even though you have a really similar role kind of to what you were doing at CubeSmart, but the, the differences between working for that publicly traded REIT, really big company, to also a big company, but a privately held family business, because I, I think that's a really interesting topic. It is, it's very interesting to talk about. Um, so NFI, NFI being a privately family owned company, like you said, uh, it's, and as large as we are, we're, we're, you know, we're over 12,000 employees now. So wow. much bigger than 
you know, you would expect when, because uh, I sit in the corporate office and we have about 500 people in our corporate office and uh, it's, it still feels like it's run like a small company. That's kind of why it's, it's very unique. Uh, nice. I talk to the, I talk to the owner, the owners about almost every day and they sit, you know, tw- their, their offices are 20, 30 feet from me. And maybe I have a unique experience. I think I do because I sit in real estate and uh, we report up to one of the owners, but uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting because you can walk in their, their office and just, you know, talk about something right away, like today and just say, Hey, I want to talk about this. And it's great. It's very, it's, it's a great place to work. Um, QSmart was a great place to work too. Uh, you're right. It was definitely a different situation with, with the public company and getting things approved and uh, making sure budgets were aligned and how that worked with uh, Wall Street and and I didn't see much of that but it's it's much different uh, on getting energy efficient projects done and how getting those uh, scheduled for this year or next year it's a, it's a much different process. Yeah, and so. I can imagine you, you alluded earlier to some of the, it sounds like challenges. I, I think uh, you used a different word. Uh, I think you used interesting, but there's challenges around structuring those solar projects, right? With those big REITs um, and, and all the tax sort of rules that, that come with that. So it sounds like you got a little bit of an education in uh, financial structuring too, which has, has probably helped you. And so, Talk about kind of, it's, I think it's really neat. You say it still feels like working at a small company. Talk about sort of that entrepreneurship and that entrepreneurship uh, feel that NFI really promotes and, and how that has sort of enabled you to go out and, and do things that, you know, maybe not everybody else is looking at. Right. Yeah. It's uh it's, there's every day is a new day. <laughs> um, there's a lot of different things that I, I have a schedule of things to do. And I'm sure like most people, I don't get to them because there's always something new happening. And uh, the great thing, yeah, one of our core, uh, one of our core things at NFI is entrepreneurship. And which means, you know, if you have a good idea, you come to the table and pitch it and everybody will discuss it. And then, we'll, we'll get it done. If it makes sense and uh, you're confident about it and you want to do it and you're passionate about it, they'll, they'll okay, which is great. Um, and there's been a lot of that with, uh, with my job in general, just with, uh, I've been trying to expand our solar portfolio. So we have about six megawatts of solar in South Jersey and I've been trying to expand it in, in New Jersey, um, future in Pennsylvania, Illinois, California, and any new, you know, new solar markets where we're, we've got big, uh, big portion of our portfolio in those, in those regions. And um, it's been exciting. You know, we've tried to, we've been doing, trying to do rooftop solar and uh, direct, you know, wholly own those systems, but we also have been trying to participate in the community solar program in New Jersey, which I'm very excited about. It's a great program. Um, and you know, we, we've been, we we're actually very, uh, we're getting very involved with that and trying to get, uh, like I said, we're trying to 
be involved with it. And it's, it's a great program for the state. And uh, I think if you look at solar, I think community solar is the future. You can see a lot of states are either have in, implemented those programs or going or talk are talking about it currently and they want to expand uh, their discussion on it and implement some sort of community solar program. And so uh, I'm, I'm excited that we can be involved with those programs in the states that we're, you know, we operate in and we have our buildings in. Yeah, the community solar thing's interesting. I'm glad you mentioned that. And for some of our listeners and viewers who, who aren't as in the weeds um, on the energy side of things or in the solar business, there are certain states will, that'll allow you to develop a large solar array, whether it be roof mounted or out in a field somewhere, interconnect that to the grid and then actually, you know, pick customers um, around typically within that same utility uh, who can subscribe to that energy, that, that renewable power that you're generating. And um, Biostar is actually super excited to have submitted an application into the year two community solar program in New Jersey. Uh, we have a project we've been developing that, that we're really, really excited about. And it's a very competitive program. So we're, um, you know, confident, but uh, understand that there's a lot of competition and a lot of folks who want to get into that program. And it's one of the reasons, David, that I like uh, staying in touch with you. Obviously, there there may or may not be business opportunities for us to work together, but it's really interesting to hear, you know, from your perspective with a focus on real estate, um, kind of which programs around the country are interesting to you and, and what you all are paying attention to. And investigating because that's really a full-time job. I mean, at Biostar, um, you know, we have basically dedicated person who all they really do is try to understand pending and, and future and current state legislation um, that's allowing for easier adoption of renewables. So um, I, I'm sure that takes up a lot of your time. And um, I wanted to get a little bit into kind of some of your, you know, what's worked and what's hasn't worked with respect to solar. Um, but but then I want to get into EVs because you all have over the last few years been, been really forward thinking with respect to EVs and um, kind of run some experiments around EV fleets. And I think that's something that's going to be hugely important in the coming years. So Touch really quickly on um, some of your successes and, and failures, if you don't mind, because we like to talk about what didn't work as well in the solar space, and then we'll kind of shift into EVs. So I find that uh, I'm a good, easy internal resource for de development and just trying to figure out, hey, we're building a building here. Can we do solar? Oh, what's the solar market like that? Uh, what's the solar market like in this area? Um, we're definitely build, expanding in this region. What's what's the so can we do solar? Can, what do we have to do sure. with the roof? So being an internal resource for solar has really helped our uh, our real estate team. And with that, you know, like you said, solar is not uh, not everything's uh, pie in the sky uh, for solar development for sure. Uh, I've hit it, definitely hit a couple snags lately um the big thing for solar for us and for i think a lot of people that are 
investing in is are the rebates. And we, where we are, uh, if there's good rebates, we're going to do solar. It makes sense. You've got the federal tax rebate, you've got any sort of state rebate. And uh, in the Northeast, there's a lot of high electric rates. So your return's even easier uh, sure. to make out in the financial model. So we're really excited about solar in those areas and where we're at and where those incentives are. Um, the only issue we've had lately is grid congestion. <laughs> so we've done yep. the back work, we've got projects, we've got proposals, we've, you know, we've signed letter of intent, we've applied for interconnection and lately we've been getting denied. And one of the, that's one of the issues I've been seeing lately is specifically in New Jersey, um, we've had issues trying to get on the grid in certain, uh, with certain substations in certain areas where we're located, where the grid just can't handle any more solar. And it's unfortunate because, you know, those states, they have renewable portfolio standards that they have to meet and, and they have goals in <clears throat> 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of being 50% renewable or 100% renewable. And the issue is that there's just a, the grid kind of can't really handle it in certain areas. And it's unfortunate, but that's what we're, we're hitting. We're hit, hitting those walls right now. Yeah. And not just in New Jersey, you're not alone in New Jersey, by the way, there's uh there's issues all around the country and uh, New Jersey's interesting because it's not that big of a state, but their state incentives have driven a ton of solar adoption. And so um, we run into that all the time where customers want to do something, want to do it because it's the right thing to do, want to do it because the economics make sense, and then they can't do it. And so uh, that can be can be frustrating and certainly takes perseverance. Um, and so uh, just roughly how many, I think you mentioned earlier, but I, I want to just say for our viewers and listeners, this is not a company uh, who has been sitting on their hands. You all have been really active. How many megawatts roughly do you all have kind of on your real estate portfolio currently? So we own over six megawatts currently. Yep. Um, but uh -huh. we've actually owned those, we've, uh, they're, we're coming up on 10, 11 years. So we've owned them for a long time. Awesome. And are those mostly in New Jersey? Yes. Just, yeah, just South Jersey. Um, they were, they were back when SREX were $500, $600 an SREC. Right. Uh, they were kind of built. And uh, the great thing about the SREC though, besides that, it, you know, it's not, it's unfortunate. It's not as high as it used to be, but it's been very, flat lately. It hasn't been as volatile as it's been in the past. Sure. And I think that's given a lot of people confidence in investing in solar in New Jersey compared to eight, 10 years ago. Sure. And SREC for our viewers and listeners is State Renewable Energy Credit. And uh, every solar you know, system creates a certain amount of power and there's a certain amount of SRECs that come with that. And so uh, the end user of the solar can actually retire those RECs, we call them, renewable energy credits, or um, more commonly in New Jersey, because the value of them is so high, you can actually sell those RECs into a market and then do what's called a REC swap, where because you still might want to retire some credits and, and take the environmental benefits uh, and tout those, 
you might swap your New Jersey solar recs, which are you know worth a couple to three hundred dollars per rec, and swap them with some Texas wind recs that are a lot cheaper. So you're still getting the environmental benefit, uh, but you're helping you know create a better return on your investment uh, with respect to the solar field. So let's let's shift gears a little bit. Let's hop across. Uh, the country and go to California, where you all are doing some really, really neat things. Um, we're actually looking at a couple little projects with you right now, um, but but really excited about what you're doing with respect to EV fleets. And you seem to be, as far as I can tell, you know, really one of the the early adopters. Talk about um, your progress in transitioning your fleet to electric, how that's going. Um, and and what you're excited about in the future? Yeah, this is the this is the fun stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we have uh, we're, our largest market is definitely Southern California. Um, biggest uh, concentration being the Inland Empire uh, in Ontario, Chino area, um, and you know what our what our focus there is um, the. Ports of LA and Long Beach have discussed, you know, the future of the port being zero emission vehicles going in and out of that port. And uh, we wanted to jump on this, you know, that mission as quick as possible since we're a big player in that area. And um, uh, we, you know, we have a big impact with our, our fleet and our business and just in general down in Southern California. So we wanted to be in the forefront of the, this, these initiatives. And uh, so we're, right now, I guess if we jump right into it, we have, we have two sites today uh, active. So one site is a pure, just an EV truck, uh, EV truck project where we, we replaced diesel trucks with a full electric truck. And then we have another project where we're ele completely electrifying a site, uh, making everything on the site electric and that may seem easy, but it really isn't. <laughs> a lot of work. Yeah. Um, I think I think if everybody just says, "Oh, electrification in California," it's like, "Well, isn't everything electric already?" Well, no, it's not. Um, and so, uh, if you want, what do you want to start with the the existing? Well, go into that a little bit further. We'll go back to the the trucks and the fleet, but go into that a little bit further. When you say the electrification of a building. Uh, besides maybe the trucks coming in and out, like what else do you, are you referring to there? Dig into that a little bit for our viewers. Yeah. So, um, so our, our main business, like we talked about before, uh, is warehouse operations, third party logistics, where we move products for a, a, a client. And yep. in California, we don't, you know, we don't have, it's, it's still in California. So we don't have gas to heat our buildings. Usually we, everything's electric inside the actual building envelope. And besides that, you know, in the warehouse, there's forklifts, right? And yep. a lot of forklifts are propane today. Um, and what we're doing is we're convert, we're, you, we're substituting those propane forklifts with a lithium ion forklift to try to see how that works and uh, literally, you know, electrify that piece, portion of our business inside the warehouse. And outside the warehouse, we have a, 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 we call them yard horses or yard tractors, where they just pull containers and uh, trailers around in the yard 
constantly. And those are always, you know, usually always diesel. And yeah. we're, we're, we've, we're, we replaced those yard tractors in this space um, with a full EV yard tractor. Okay, interesting. Which was big because those things run pretty much 24-7. So mm-hmm. diesel emissions, everything from that is completely gone now. Yeah, so to, and to finish out the electrification, so you have electrification inside, we're replacing por- propane forklifts with lithium-ion forklifts, uh, replacing a diesel yard tractor with a, a full EV yard tractor, and then replacing a full diesel or natural gas tractor in the yard with a full EV truck. And so those are full electric class eight heavy duty trucks. And so you have the trucks, the tractors and the forklifts, everything's electrified. We're actually, we'll be putting in solar at the site as well. So um, we're gonna be trying to, you know, we're electrifying everything and we're making it as green as possible. Sure. That's really interesting. And um, how has it been, you know, from an operating cost standpoint, uh, you're talking about, you know, obviously more stuff that you're plugging in. And so how has it been um, kind of working with the utilities out there and making sure that your operating costs don't skyrocket, um, you know, as a result of this electrification of, of your various equipment? So that's, that's what makes or breaks this, really, in my opinion, uh, because the, the operating cost is kind of the last thing. Everything else is building up, right? The cost of the equipment, uh, cost of the infrastructure, getting everything ready for the day-to-day operations. And then once you hit the, once you hit the, the switch and everything's running, the operating cost is trying to compare that to what you're doing today with diesel and uh, natural gas, but also um, trying to figure out how you manage that. Cause it's good. It's, it's, it's another, it's another monster, right? Because before sure. was, you purchase diesel, you put in diesel in the truck, you drive, right? Now it's okay. Well, um, I'm on peak from four to, PM to 9 PM in Southern California. So I'm going to try to avoid and try to start charging at 9 and 1 PM and right. make sure that everything's not charging on, on peak. And if you can do that, that's great. Cause your, your costs are dramatically lower. Sure. Especially in the summertime In the wintertime, it's not as bad in Southern California, but the summertime it's, it's a, a big difference in rate in the, the time of use rates. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And it, it certainly obviously impacts your operations. And to a certain extent, you may want to wait till 901, but um, you might have a dead forklift that, that just needs to be charged. And so, so does the utility offer any special rates for uh, these types of technologies and, and this type of charging? Yeah, so we actually, we had, a, we had very good timing on our first project uh, they had about, I think, around EV1, EV6. And right when we came on with our first project, they actually uh, activated three new rates, EV7, 8, and 9. So we, yeah. for our, our one project, we sit on EV9 rate, which is KW of 500 or higher. Um, and the great thing about that rate, and it, it probably will not be around forever, is there is no demand charge. 
Okay. You pay a high per KWH charge on your on peak, uh, your on peak time TOU rate, but you, there is no demand rate. There is a there's a there's a pretty hefty fixed uh, what do you call it? facilities charge? I think they sure. call it. Without that demand rate, it, it makes it great. Uh, and Southern Cal Edison has been uh, very helpful in these projects, and they've been great. And this rate really makes these. And I think I think the rate's designed to get these projects up and running to see you know how they work and how they'll work. Sure. It's been very it's been very good for us. Yeah, it's great to see the the utility kind of stepping in and and making this you know feasible uh, for their customers. So you also have a renewable natural gas fleet uh, of trucks. Is that right? And um, talk a little bit about kind of the differences between the RNG and the EV fleets. And, um, you know, going forward, do you see that it's a combination of both or do you see one becoming more important than the other? Yeah, we, so we have a small fleet of a couple of several natural gas trucks in Southern California. And um, I, I don't know as much about them. Uh, I do know that, you know, I see the future, especially in California, the future is, uh, is electric trucks. It, you know, for us, we've, we've had success and I really don't see the, personally, I don't see the need for the natural gas trucks in the future because we're going to be expanding our EV fleet. So mm -hmm. I think they're going to be pushed out for, uh, for ourselves, but also our business is more regional. It's more uh, quick trips and shorter trips. So for companies that have longer long hauls or longer trips, I don't know what they're, you know, what they're envisioning. But for us, I think, you know, we, we've had success with EVs and we want to expand it uh, to our entire fleet in California. And so that's, I think that kind of gives you the answer, right? That sure, yeah, no, it, it, you're looking at at the EVs, and I think everybody is. It's it's certainly uh, if you watch the stock market in the last couple of months, it's like any time a car maker mentions EVs, their stock jumps, and so it definitely seems to be the future. Um, but you mentioned something that's interesting, and about how you have kind of quicker trips or lanes or laps. I've heard it you know, these different routes called a lot of different things. Um, so just for your EV fleet in California, as an example, what is a typical trip and kind of what's the range on those electric trucks? Um, and then how does sort of, like you mentioned with the, with the forklifts, how does the charging kind of play into strategically how you ultimately make your deliveries and, and everything like that? Uh, so our, tr our tractors that we have are prototypes. So uh, they're, I think when they, when they're going to market they're as, you know, as technology gets better, you're going to have uh, hopefully lighter weight and more efficient batteries and longer distance, longer distances. And so sure. our prototypes, I think they said 250 miles. Okay. We took that as 200 uh, just to you know be safe sure our round trip to so our main business and the reason why we're we the business that we wanted to do this project with was our drayage fleet our drayage operations so drayage is when you 
bring a trailer from or uh, from the port to one of our warehouses. And so that round trip for us is about 100, 110 miles. Mm-hmm. And that's perfect for us, right? We have, if we have a, if we're expecting 200 mile range or 250, we can almost get two trips out of that. And so with this project, actually, what we did was replace five diesel tractors with 10 EV tractors. Now that doesn't seem efficient, but also this is a pilot project, right? We did, you know, you don't know what to expect. So that the idea was instead of five diesel tractors, you have five EV tractors run to the port while the other five are charging. And then while those five come back, the other five are, are ready. You, you bring them in, you unplug the one, plug the other one in. So we actually have two spots at each charge. Got it. Okay. And, um, and then once they're done, you know, you bring the, you, uh, you bring the next tractor all the way down the port and you just keep going back and forth. Sure. That's really interesting. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see sort of as these bigger trucks, I know Tesla's coming out with an EV, uh, semi, and there's other, you know, companies who are, who are obviously looking at this and developing projects, but it'll be interesting to see how that battery range really impacts adoption, um, in various markets, you know, across the country. Um, and well, I think another thing that's really interesting that I hadn't thought a ton about is, you know, are these utilities going to have to step up and play ball with different rate classes for charging these vehicles? Because I can see where a logistics company would avoid uh, switching over to an electric fleet, knowing that they're going to have to charge their batteries probably during peak hours and that their operating costs might go up. So there's a, a lot of different factors at play and, and big kudos to NFI for kind of diving in head first and really being an industry leader here uh, with a pilot program to try to figure all of this stuff out. I, I think it's absolutely fascinating. Um, talk a little bit about, as we sort of start to wrap up here, what are you most excited about kind of over the next decade? I know you look at a lot of different types of projects from solar to EVs to natural gas to you know HVAC and lighting. What are you most excited about um, for NFI and, and in your role, kind of looking at the next decade um, and some of the things you're working on? Um, well, it's, it's, it's an exciting time and it's an exciting company to work for. And uh, I don't think people realize what our business is and how, I guess, big it is right now. Uh, look, e-commerce especially this last year e-commerce is becoming one of the the biggest new things i think um and uh you see where you probably see warehouses everywhere just being built yeah all over the place it's amazing yeah it it doesn't matter really it's everywhere and um uh, the great thing well the the future that i see here is that um we're if we go really into energy sustainability um we're we're a lot of our customers scope three emissions and mm-hmm. yeah that's great that i mean i'm i'm excited that you know nfi is becoming more green we're having a more uh, green fleet we have you know this we're fully ev trucks trucks in our fleet now um we're getting 
lithium ion track uh, forklifts in the warehouses. So we're, we're becoming more green inside the warehouse. We're becoming more green outside the warehouse. And that's just us. But really, I like our impact because a lot of our customers and our clients uh, are publicly traded. They're big companies. They're trying to figure out what, how to reduce their scope three emissions, which is a, one of those factors, one of those uh, contributors is supply chain and where they're part of their supply chain. And so I'm really excited about our scope one emissions and reducing our customers scope three emissions and helping and, you know, building on those relationships and helping them get to the, get to the, help them get their, to their goals and achieve their goals on reducing emissions. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, something that you're starting to hear a lot more buzz about, you know, particularly in the last year or two, Hey, you know, you doing good isn't just enough. Uh, you need to look at your supply chain. You need to look at, you know, what is everyone else in your supply chain doing and, and making sure that um, you're addressing things, you know, at every level. And so you're seeing um, Walmart roll out some really amazing initiatives. I think it's the Gigaton uh, project that they, they rolled out with all of their vendors and, and suppliers. Um, you're seeing folks like Larry Fink at BlackRock, you know, saying that we're going to divest uh, in, in traditional forms of energy. And so um, I think you bring up a really good point. It, it's not just what am I doing uh, and is that enough, but what is my supply chain doing and, and how does every different step in the process uh, ultimately affect emissions? So I think you all are, are doing an unbelievable job really leading the charge in your industry and uh, have a lot to be proud of. But but I'm really excited to see what you do kind of in the next 10 years because um, there's there's still a lot of work to be done and it sounds like you all recognize that. Um, we're gonna kind of wrap it up here, but I wanna make sure folks know how to find you, David, online. Are you a LinkedIn guy, Twitter guy? Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you and, and talk more about any of these topics or your business, please make sure they, they know how to do that. Yeah, I'm a, for, for work, I'm a big LinkedIn guy. Uh, I think it's a, it's a great platform to converse with uh, other people in the industry and just, that's probably the easiest way. And uh, I like that way better. Sure. If you want to connect with David, uh, find him on LinkedIn and follow NFI Industries. Uh, their company posts a lot of updates about what they're up to and, um, a fascinating business to follow. I'm really excited to see what comes in the next couple of years. And I hope that you'll come back on the show and uh, tell us how things are going. Yeah, that sounds great. No, I appreciate the time. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for us, but I'm excited for just the industry as a whole. Likewise. Thank you very much for your time today. David Christ with NFI Industries, the Sustainability and Energy Manager. You can find him on LinkedIn, connect with him if you want to chat anymore, uh, or make sure to follow NFI Industries on that platform as well and keep up with them. Thanks again, David. This has been another episode of Renewables. Stay in touch. Make sure to give us a follow. We are releasing episodes almost every Friday. So uh, please stay tuned and we really appreciate your listenership and viewership. Thanks again. Have a great weekend, everybody.